Hello there, Travel Daily listeners and readers. Wherever you are in the world, we want to thank you for listening once again. As the pandemic grinds on, we have perhaps seen a little change in the rhetoric from some of our leaders. And after last week's budget blow, we're starting to see some parts of the economy rightly say, we're mad. We're fed up, and it's probably healthy to blow off a bit of steam. But the pressure continues to build, because in late breaking news, we've just heard that Qantas is kicking agents while they're down by cutting commission to just 1%. We've also seen after start a search, a burst travel bubble, some financial results that are no surprise to anyone, and some more cruise action overseas. As always, there is so much to talk about this week, so let's get into it. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper, and this is News on the Fly. Well, as if things couldn't get any worse for the travel industry, this week Qantas decided to stick the knife into its long-standing relationships with travel agents by cutting commission on international tickets to just 1%. The move reduces travel agent base remuneration by a whopping 80%. So Bruce, what is behind this move? Yeah, look, this is massive news for the industry. Um, It's 15 years since there's been any change to agency commission in Australia. Back in, I think it was about 2006, our listeners with long memories will recall, that's when domestic commission was cut. And after then, CEO Mike Hatton managed to successfully hold the line on behalf of the industry on international. Um, So international was 5%, it's going to go to 1%. Look, you know, is there a silver lining perhaps that it didn't happen straight away, that we've, we've had notice and, you know, we've got a year to get ready for it. But I think what's behind it is that despite its lip service, Qantas clearly doesn't value the travel agency distribution channel. And look, we've seen that clearly over the last couple of years with the introduction of the Qantas channel, um, the NDC platform, which also had a massive impact on agency incomes because you know they pretty sneakily slipped in new uh, the involvement of new GDS contracts, which to a large extent eliminated segment rebates, which you know had previously been you know part of the income mix for travel agencies. Qantas has been quick to point out that there are already many fare types that don't currently attract base commission, like uh, domestic and trans-Tasman, corporate fares, group bookings, and they're basically saying that the changes are in line with global trends. And what's the industry reaction been? Look, it's only just been announced, you know, my phone's been ringing off the hook, um, but really nobody's had a proper chance to react except for the, you know, just feeling the gut punch uh, that their uh, base commission's been cut by 80%. But to me and many others, I think they'll feel like it's the last nail in the coffin. Not to mention the fact that Qantas throughout the pandemic, and particularly in the early stages, was really recalcitrant at paying refunds, Um, you know, leading agents to deal with angry customers. I think, you know, people would rightly see this as an absolute slap in the face. Qantas reckons they've got to make changes to reduce its costs. You know, it's having to ride out the pandemic as well. But of course, what this will also do is that most other airlines are likely to follow, I suspect. Wow. So what's the future for the industry now? Look, I think there's a torture called death by a thousand cuts. And this cut may be the last straw for some agencies. But, you know, my experience is that the industry is a resilient lot. There are other things to sell, and some smart agents have been transitioning to things, you know, like luxury, cruise, touring, etc. Qantas has also pledged to help the industry. Um, Head of Global Sales and Distribution, Igor Kwiatkowski, said he expects this will accelerate the industry trend towards a fee-for-service model. Um, I don't think all of the industry is on board with that, um, particularly Flight Centre. But Kwiatkowski also said Qantas is continuing to invest in new technology to make it easier to service customers and provide new selling and revenue opportunities via the NDC channel. And I'm sure that means 
probably special offers to frequent flyers that you can only buy through travel agents or something like that. You know, the NDC platform does allow that sort of thing to happen. And speaking of blowing off steam, in last month's travel bulletin, AFTA chairman Tom Mannering said one way he relieves stress is to shout at the ocean. But another solution is to recruit a new CEO for the Federation, and that's exactly what he started off this week. And clearly, whoever gets chosen is going to be starting behind the eight ball after this Qantas announcement. So Bruce, what sort of person are they looking for? Look, I think after many years of pretty dynamic leadership in the form of Jason Westbury and then more recently the lobbying expertise of Darren Rudd, they're perhaps seeking some sort of a a mixture. I'm sure there have been feelers out in the market since the shock departure of Darren Rudd now about seven weeks ago, but the formal recruitment process has now kicked off with ads in Travel Daily and there's a couple of headhunters involved. You know, I think no one can deny that this is going to be a really, really tough gig coming in with such a massive amount of disruption and not to mention, you know, a, a big cut in commission from Qantas and the fact that AFTA's had no revenue for the last year, although of course there are reserves, but it was interesting that in the job description there's a strong focus on financial management and an ability to run the organisation with high quality business strategies, I think is how they phrased it. Hmm, so not such a big focus on lobbying then? Look, probably less of a focus, but definitely still a major part of the job. Um, what Darren Rudd taught us all is um, what is required in the cut and thrust of Canberra, you know, that ugly world that we probably really didn't want or need to know about before the pandemic. But COVID-19 has forced a major shift and it has been a massive education for all of us just how, you know, government funding and grants programs work. As we've seen since Darren left, um, the board has swung into action and definitely been putting into practice what they've learned. I don't think anyone would deny that his single-minded focus on the political world probably left the organisation itself languishing a bit. Okay, what do you mean? What is the situation with AFTA itself at the moment? Look, they've definitely lost a number of key members of staff. I think you'd have to say it's down to a very small skeleton crew now. There is still some experience there and definitely among the board, but but the board themselves are also facing their own mountains of trouble in their own businesses. So the Federation, of course, needs its own in-house leader and that's what they're after. I reckon that if you said Darren was like, you know, 70% focused on lobbying and 30% on the AFTA organisation itself, my bet is the board wants that to be reversed, um, 70% on the organisation, particularly as things start to recover. Um, For example, I know that AFTA is now sending out subscription renewals for membership and ATAS for the coming year, and I've definitely heard there's a bit of reticence among some agents to pay, and that's despite the Federation, you know, rightly noting that You know, however you call it, there's been more than $200 million flowing into the industry's pockets, which we wouldn't have gotten without the work of AFTA. I know many parts of the sector didn't get anything, um, but those who who did definitely should recognise that as a benefit. However bad things were and are, they would have been worse without that. Anyway, bit of work for the new CEO to right that ship, and the sooner the better. So they've got applications now open just for a couple of weeks. And I'm betting in the current environment, you know, there's a lot of talent out there. We've had, you know, some major job losses, some really good people uh, looking for new roles right across the industry. So I'm sure they'll get some excellent applicants. Let's hope so. Absolutely. And while we're on the subject of AFTA, well, sort of, Webjet, which was one of the Federation's major new additions to the membership ranks last year, reported its financial results this week. Obviously, the pandemic continues to have a significant impact for the company. So what did the figures look like? 
Yeah, look, I think it's important to recognise that while web debt has always been a bit of an outlier doing its own thing, its scale means it's a really important indicator for the wider industry, and the results were quite fascinating. Um, they've taken the opportunity to switch to a new financial year, I'm sure reflecting the fact they're becoming more and more global business and focused on the Northern Hemisphere, so they don't want to have their balance date right in the middle of the Northern Summer Holiday period. So the results are for a nine-month period to the 31st of March, rather than directly comparable to the previous full financial year. Um, anyway, as CEO John Gusich told me last year when I interviewed him at the Travel Industry Hub, they have really taken the opportunity to invest in the business, and that's you know clear from these results. They had a few pretty hairy no- moments at the start of the pandemic when the world was collapsing, but they saved their bacon through a capital raising, and they're definitely focused on the big picture um, with ambitions to emerge bigger and stronger. Financially, you know, it's a bit of a mess, of course big losses, but there seem to be some indications that things are improving. Particularly, they they said, you know, with opening of borders domestically in Australia, they reckon they're back to about 95% of transaction numbers compared to the same month two years ago, that was in April. Of course, that period coincided with that big push by the government for half-price flights and lots of promotion. So it will be interesting to see if that continues in the absence of major stimulation, but still a good sign for the business. And what about their overseas operations? Look, web beds, the B2B hotels business, bed banks, uh, I think it's a bit harder to turn around. Um, There's chaos all over the world. Although our borders are closed, you know, and other places are open, I don't think there's a lot of travel happening in many countries as we see what's going on in India, Taiwan. You know, that's really got to be dampening demand, particularly for leisure. But Webbeds is definitely the growth engine for the company, and they reckon things are starting to come back as vaccinations roll out. They did talk about a bit of recovery, but I'm not sure how big the business was in the USA, particularly pre-COVID, so that might be from a low base. But what was interesting was a determination, a promise from Gusich that Webbeds will emerge as the number one B2B accommodation player. That's a big call and definitely a shot over the bow of um, its big rival hotel beds, Beds Online, which would see itself and builds itself as the biggest. So as they say, it's a dark cloud without any silver lining, and John Gusich is definitely determined to make hay while the sun shines. A bit heavy on the metaphors, but your point stands. The prospects of a travel bubble between Singapore and Hong Kong were highly anticipated, with quarantine-free travel between the cities on what must be one of Asia's biggest flight routes set to roll out in a week's time. However, that bubble has now burst. After a rise in cases in Singapore... Bruce, what do you think that means for the possibility of an Australian travel bubble with Singapore? Look, again, this is something that's been a hot topic. Um, You never know with politicians whether they're just paying lip service, but almost one of the first things that Dan Tian did when he uh, became tourist minister was talking about a bubble with Singapore. And of course, there's massive disappointment about the Singapore-Hong Kong bubble. But on the other hand, you know, if you think positively, you'd have to say the system is working. There were clear protocols that would mean, you know, determine what is a go or a no-go for this thing. Unfortunately, the outbreak, of course, happened before the thing actually got off the ground. So, And so in Singapore, they're back in a form of lockdown. But that means that things are contained. You know, we've got to remember it's all about vaccination and the complacency that had probably set in in both those countries, like Australia, where they've got, you know, things relatively under control. That's definitely going to change now. People will be rushing to get vaccinated. Sure to be a whole lot more urgency about vaccinations. And, you know, frankly, that's just what we need here as well. That's for sure. And we definitely have seen at least the start of what seems could be a groundswell of rational voices pushing for a way for us to reopen. Do you think that politicians are listening? Well, at least some of them, because they're among the voices calling for some sense, of course, including New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian, 
who you know, I think many people would agree has really handled things well so far. She's saying she reckons 80% of the state needs to be vaccinated in order to get things opening up. And look, that seems like a lot, and it is, but at least it's a target. And that's what the wider industry, not to mention other sectors like agriculture, education, etc., have also been calling for. And it's a lot better than this blanket suggestion from some quarters that we just can't open up at all or, you know, who knows when. The big question on the horizon is the prospect of a federal election. And of course, as, as always happens, politics is likely to get in the way. Irrational border rhetoric seems to be a vote winner, as we've seen in you know, various states and territories. And already this week, we've seen Scott Morrison playing that tune. But as we're starting to hear, not everyone is on board with this protectionist approach, and it's definitely not limited to travel and tourism. So perhaps if there's a multi-pronged um, you know, push, we might see some light at the end of the tunnel soon. Do you have something to say? Why not let off some steam? News on the Fly has started a hotline where you can share your point of view and it might even be featured on the podcast. Just send us a short voice memo via WhatsApp at plus six one two eight zero zero seven six seven six zero to have your say and let us know what you think. Keep listening to News on the Fly to see if your voice is featured. Check the show notes for a link to that hotline and we hope to hear from you soon. Well, Australian cruising remains in limbo, with politicians again seeming very reluctant to even provide a pathway forward. Bruce, do you see any prospects for a way forward? Yeah, Claire's new campaign definitely is gaining a bit of traction. Just within the first couple of days of us announcing their new campaign, uh, this Ready, Set, Sail in Cruise Weekly, there were thousands of emails sent, uh, Joel Katz told me. I thought it was very interesting this week to see P&O Cruises has cancelled all of its international sailings out of Australia till the end of the year. But unlike all the previous cancellations, which are just, you know, full suspensions of sailing, they've replaced them with domestic itineraries starting from mid-September. So that's three months after the current biosecurity thing expires. You know, perhaps they might have, you know, a little birdie telling them that there could be an inkling that there might be some movement there. And what about the highly anticipated Kimberley season? We're another week closer to it starting, but is there any more certainty about things going ahead? No, still not, and it is driving everyone crazy. And just this week, we had the revelation that, just like what led to that aborted Ponant season in New Zealand, the Australian government is insisting that non-maritime crew on board cruise ships, like waiters, you know, beauty therapists, cleaners, massers, hotel staff, etc., be Australian. And that's, you know, now clearly the spanner which put paid to the first departure of APT's Kimberley season, which was set to go on the 2nd of June. As far as we know, at this stage, APT hasn't cancelled anything else, and so hopefully that means they've got this sorted, um, that they've been able to recruit the crew. But of course, you know, all of the, it's a very tight job market now in Australia too. I also found it fascinating, the Home Affairs website statement. It also said, alongside the requirement for Australian crew, it said any cruise ship operating here had to be able to demonstrate economic benefit to Australia. I mean, surely that's a no-brainer, given that, you know, you've got all the providors, shore excursion operators, port operators, activities, and of course, the travel industry, who would benefit from a cruise restart. But I just think that statement that it's got to have economic benefit also just reflects this mindset among the bureaucrats and politicians that cruise companies are all these you know, foreign-owned giants and don't provide any local benefit, which we, of course, know is just rubbish. Oh, total rubbish. Well, let's hope that we have some more concrete news on that front next week. In the meantime, thank you, faithful listeners. Hang in there. 
As we always say, please rate us and review us on whatever podcast platform you use to help your industry colleagues find us. Following us and subscribing also helps us out and also means that you don't miss out. So it's really a win-win. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with more news on the fly.